Thank you, Eric. Hey, good morning, Three Rivers. I'm very glad that you are here and do not have the flu. Um, praise God, it's going around. So uh, make sure you use Germex plentifully. Um, I have been, and so not because I don't trust you. I don't trust the flu. Okay, so I'm glad you're here. So if you would join me in prayer, and then we're going to get after uh, our passage. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would do amazing things um, in the heart of your people uh, by your word, by Holy Spirit applying your word, and uh, you doing a work of transformation. So Lord, we depend on you now, and we ask you to make all those things powerful and effective for the glory of Christ and the advancement of his kingdom, we pray. Amen. All right. We do have a lot of folks that's sick and a lot of folks that's out. And if you missed last week, the introduction is on the webpage so you can hear it. You can also see the notes on the blog this morning. The notes for today are posted, mitchjolly.com. Uh, and you can, uh, you can see the notes for today. Worship, a working definition, part two. And so, uh, there are eight components to that definition. Uh, we got through three last week and we're going to go as far as we can today in my allotted time. Uh, and so I'm setting my timer now. We're off and running. All right, here we go. Uh, Romans 12.1 is really the base. Now we're going to come back to Romans 12.1 in a couple of weeks as we really delve into what it means to be a living sacrifice. But it's really the launching point as we unpack this definition. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice... Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we said last week, and I'll repeat again, worship is deeper than a service. Worship is deeper than a service. What's happening today is a tiny component of worship. But worship biblically is much deeper than a service. It's deeper than songs. Songs are a component of worship, not the epitome of worship. There's an entire industry today in which people are making millions of dollars on worship songs. And it is so far down the line that it's not even funny. I'm convinced, I said it last week, I'm going to repeat it, that if we did Romans 12.1, we could come in here and sing this little light of mine and hold up our little lights and not let Satan blow them out and let it shine and have revival blow through post-Christian Southern culture if we were doing Romans 12.1. It will never be the song we sing. It won't be Hillsong. It won't be Elevation. It won't be Getty. It won't be whatever. It will be because a bunch of living sacrifices are completely holy, given over to the Lord for His purposes and His ends in a life of repentance. Right? And then we'll come and sing the songs and they'll matter. No matter. Worship really is all that we are and all that we do given over to God for His purposes. And then the song matters. So last week I gave you this definition. I'm going to try to teach you some hand motions to this. To try to get it. Uh, we got through three components. We may get to, through two or three today. So here we go. Uh, and you're going to participate. This is full body participation. So if I see you not participating, I'll have you stand and do it for everybody. Right? As a former educator, I'm really good at shaming students into performing. Okay? So you ready? Here we go. Worship. Worship is. Worship is. Right? Communion with God. Why? Because you just did that. Right? 
So worship is communion with God. I love it. Y'all are awesome. You're doing it. It's amazing. In which believers, because I'm trusting you're a believer, right? Maybe you are not, and that's okay. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So worship is communion with God in which believers, now this one's kind of funny, by grace, you got to do the cheerleader spirit fingers, by grace, center their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the Lord. You get to do your right hand because that makes the L, right? On the Lord, humbly, glorifying, God, ready, in response to the revelation, hey, don't laugh, don't laugh at what I told you I made a A on this test, I got you and that's why, in response to the revelation of his glory and his word. Alright, so here we go. Worship is communion with God, in which believers by grace center their minds' attention, their hearts' affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to the revelation, His glory, and His Word. So we looked at communion with God. We looked at what it is for believers to engage as an act of faith. We looked at grace. Today we want to pick up this definition here. And, and just, just to remind you, this definition is the result of the exposition, the study of worship from Genesis to Revelation. Okay? And so we're going to be all over the Bible today. So here we go. Communion with God, in which believers by grace centered their mind's attention. Worship as a living sacrifice is a discipline of centering your mind's attention on the Lord. Now here's something that's very important. I'm 45 years old. And if I live out the average of my parents' lives, okay? My father passed away when he was 75. My mother passed away and she was 83. If I live out the average of their lives, I might get 80 years. I'm 45, okay? If you look at life as a football game, four quarters and a half time, I am one quarter of the way through the third quarter of my life. That's sobering. And so I'm in this phase of life where what I do and how I do it and how precisely I do it matters to me. Now, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you're just you're just gung ho, going hard, trying to figure stuff out, trying to pillage as much as you can, get as much as you can. And you're going to hit this phase in life where significance is more important than success. And for me, the worship of the Lord fulfilling created function is more vital than anything I can imagine. Because at the end of the day, I will stand before Jesus. And I want to hear, well done. Jesus talked about in his parables the good fruit and the good soil. And in the good soil, Jesus said good soil is that which produces 30, 60, 100 fold. I would love to get to the end of my life and on my tombstone have a hundred X, a hundred times. That whatever little bit he gave me, I multiplied it a hundred times. That I lived a life of living sacrifice, not just known for singing a song. And part of that looks like this discipline of learning to center my mind's attention on the Lord. This is key. And it's key for us, particularly in our time, because centering attention is a difficulty. If you're an educator, you know what I mean. We are bombarded in the West 
with a hundred things that cause us to either in a negative way affect the function of our minds, our brain's ability to function or pay attention. And we look at it in a hundred different ways on trying to solve the problem. And what we discover is students and even some of us adults don't know how to center our attention. We don't know how to center our mind. Some of us may even debate whether or not the mind is something that's real. Maybe for you, your worldview says the mind is a function of only your brain. It's a physical issue. And and by worldview, you're just a naturalist. Trying to weave together some system of theism into your naturalistic worldview. What we understand biblically is the concept of the mind is this idea that we are a living biological being that also has a soul. And there's a component of us that's immaterial, that functions in paying attention, in thinking, in applying logic and reason. Because God is the creator of logic and reason. He made the atom. And he gave somebody enough sense to figure it out and figure out how to split it. God is the creator of those things. And we come to worship as a living sacrifice. It's not just this spewing out of some type of emotive response. It is as a living sacrifice learning to bring under the reign of the Spirit of God the attention of my thinking. Psalm seventy-seven, twelve. And listen, these things are going to be all over the Bible. Because Jesus unpacked these issues. He made our parents to make much of Him. You were created to be a living sacrifice. It is the reason for which you are here today. And so for us to learn that is perhaps the most important thing you may do for the rest of your life. Psalm 77, 12 says, I will ponder all your work. And meditate on your mighty deeds. We see in God's word that one of the acts of worship in the Psalms is to ponder on God's work and meditate on his needs. That is to his deeds to think upon. To sit and recount them over and over and over. Jesus comes along in Matthew 22, 34 to 38 and he says this. In his word, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus comes along and says it is vital that we love God. With all of our being, the immaterial component and with our thinking. This this idea of applying your mind, applying your thinking processes to the love of God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, speaking to a church that was completely abusing the spiritual gifts. Completely given over to the emotive, ecstatic, spectacular responses going on around them. He comes and he brings balance to what they're doing. And teaching the right understanding of the gifts and the right function of the church gathered together. And by the way, in that that passage, there's not much mentioned of the song. 
It's a multinational, multi-ethnic gathering because they're multinational, multi-ethnic cities and people are coming into this gathering and some don't speak the dominant language and so the Spirit gives the ability for some to speak that language so the others can hear the gospel. And He gives some a prophetic utterance of the words so they can speak the word of the Lord. And they've lost their minds and everybody's going crazy. And Paul comes along and he says, when you got a song, you got a tongue, you got a, a, a word, let it all be done in order. And here's his instruction to them. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. In other words, worship is not just an emotive, emotive spilling out of something. It is the engagement of your thinking. Therefore, when we come to the worship of God, whether it's in this room or we're in our home, we're in our car, daily walking with Jesus in communion, which believers, as the right and fitting response to God, we engage in disciplining our minds to think rightly on God. Therefore, worship involves the right use of our minds. It involves the training of our thinking. So that when we do sing, we're singing with our minds engaged. When we read, we're reading with our minds engaged. Listen, God is the author of your mind. He gave you the ability to think. And to bring it under the reign and rule of Christ by help of the Holy Spirit in His Word is one of the greatest acts of worship you can be engaged in. So tomorrow, as you read and you challenge your thinking, you are growing in grace and you are worshiping the Lord by bringing thoughts under the supremacy of Jesus. One of the great lacks in Western culture are well-thought-out, well-trained Christians who can speak prophetically to our time and our age. Not many Christians in the West are critical thinkers. They're products of being a consumer of their brand of either politics or whatever else is out there. And they just parrot forth what they hear by other people who are thinking for them. And what I want you to hear is, you as a follower of Jesus Christ have been given the ability to think, and He demands and expects us to learn to bring it under Christ's rule. Matter of fact, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewal of your mind. So therefore, worship is stewarding your mind. Hey, let me ask you this question, Three Rivers. What's the last book you read? I don't mean part of a book. I don't mean two chapters of a book. But you actually engage in the reading and thinking on material. Let me ask you this question. What's the last non-Christian book that you read? And I would say they need to be half of your reading. Here's a good discipline for you to engage in. Because you need to learn to critically think. You need to be able to read that argument and go, hmm. Hmm. Based on the worldview I've been given from God's word, here are some problems with that line of thinking. And be able to engage in the public square. We talk about engaging your domain of society, right? That we don't do ministry programs, right? We do domain engagement. We release you to go be a follower of Jesus Christ in the public square. Because the Great Commission is given to all of us, right? And so therefore, can you function in the public square? Not looking like an uneducated moron, but looking like a person who's engaged their mind to think deeply and critically on the situation and speak as a follower of Jesus Christ to that issue. It's worship. It's worship. 
It's disciplining your mind to think rightly on God. It's disciplining your mind to think rightly, biblically. Do you know the key essential doctrines of the faith, right? Trinity, Spirit, Son, Father, right? The exclusivity of Christ, right? The glorious doctrine of the salvation of the cross, right? God's Word. Why do we say it is an inerrant? It's infallible. It's the standard, right? Thinking rightly on God. Worship is communion with God in which believers by grace center their mind's attention, their heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response. Revelation of His glory and His word. Centering your mind's attention. Next, and this is actually number five, mind's attention is number four. Number five, worship is expressing love to God. So we say center mind's attention Heart's affection. Worship is expressing love to God. Alright? Psalm 84. It's my favorite psalm. I adore Psalm 84. One of the reasons I love Psalm 84 is because George Mueller, my number one chief hero in Christian history, preached this passage at his first wife's funeral. And as a matter of fact, verse 11 was his great hope when he lost Mary. He said, for the Lord God, and this is the psalmist and Mueller's commentary on this passage, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And because he was upright in Christ, Mary was upright in Christ, her righteousness was found in Jesus because of repentance and faith in Christ. He recognized that there would be nothing that would come that wasn't good for us, including scarlet fever. So, Lord, I receive this as a good grace from your hand. She's now yours. She always has been, but we hand her over to you. That's a great way to bury somebody. And the reason is because the reason you can do verse 11 is because verse 1 to 10. Because there is an affection for God that trumps everything. It's an affection for God that trumps everything. And a little background on Psalm 84. It's written by the sons of Korah. Do you know who they are? This is important. Because when they came out of Egypt, as they were wandering in the wilderness, there were some groups of people that began to grumble against Moses. His own family. And then the Kohathites. Sons of Korah. You know the story? And so the Lord said, Moses, I want you to gather and you set them over there and you come over here. And you bring your argument. And what did God do? He opened the earth and he swallowed the sons of Korah and there were some that survived. They wrote this psalm. <laughs> this is why they say in this psalm, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, i.e. the ground. I'm good being a doorkeeper in the house of God. Just don't swallow me alive. That's who wrote this psalm. That's the background of this psalm. They learned affection for the Lord a hard way. And what the Lord offers us in Christ is a renewed heart that loves Him. And isn't that the promise of the gospel? Ezekiel 36, right? Jeremiah 31, this promise, this new covenant that Jesus would bring is that by repentance and faith He would take out a cold, dead heart and give us a new, live heart that loved Him. So that if you're in Christ this morning, you you... You have a new heart that has affection for God. 
And that's Psalm 80. Listen, just listen to it very quickly. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. That, that's an affectionate heart. That's a heart that loves, that's warmed toward. How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and in whose heart are the highways to Zion. That's awesome. As they go through the valley of Baca, Baca is a Hebrew word that means dryness. And some of your translations may actually translate it dryness. As they go through the valley of dryness, they make it a place of springs. Why? Because their strength is in Him and in their hearts are the highways to Zion. So wherever there is dryness, the people of God bring a freshness. (laughs) Why? Because of the Lord. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. And each one appears before God in Zion. You see, this psalm is a heart that has affection for God. And and the Lord Himself pours into them. And they they are a vehicle of freshness, of goodness to those around them. Why? Because they walk with Jesus. So worship... Disciplining our minds to think rightly, but it is also the expression of the heart's affection for God. And I want you to note here that still as a living sacrifice, we haven't gotten to the song yet. Psalm 84 is people walking through dry valleys. We have a tendency to think of walking through spiritual dryness in life. You know, metaphorically speaking, I don't feel like the Lord's listening. Or I, or I feel like I'm in a spiritually dry place. And we, we have a tendency to think about that as a bad thing. But the heart that's walking through the dry places is at the same time the heart that is making those dry places springs for other people. Because in their heart is the highway to Zion. They've been transformed. They're walking with Jesus. Their affection is on Christ. And even though they may feel dry, there's a spiritual goodness about them that is serving other people as a living sacrifice. Therefore, they can come to verse 11 and say, The Lord God is the sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. And no good thing, including this dry valley, no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. It's good for me to be dry now. Because you brought it. And I love you, Lord. And I follow you and obey you. That's a heart that's worshiping. You walk in here with that and you can, my little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine and experience the grace of God. In a corporate worship gathering. Because again, it's not about the song. It's being a living sacrifice. Element number six. Worship. Is humble exaltation of God. Worship is communion with God. Which believers. By grace. Center their minds attention. Their hearts affection. On the Lord. Right. Humbly. 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 Glorifying God. Worship is humble exaltation of God. Psalm 138 verse 2 says. I bow down toward your holy temple. I bow down toward your holy temple. And give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Psalm 138.2 is a sermon by itself. 
couple of things to take note of. This word bow down literally means to prostrate before. And 99 other times throughout the Old Testament it is translated as worship. Meaning the author is letting us know under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that worship has a component of prostrating oneself before or humbling oneself before. Bowing down before. Whether that be literally, physically prostrating oneself before the Lord. Or whether that means in the posture of the heart. Because I will tell you this. You can lay yourself down prostrate before the Lord in some kind of worship service. And be doing it out of pride and self-centeredness and desire for people to see you as holy. And Jesus addressed that in Matthew 6. You get your reward. They think you're cool. But I didn't see it and you don't belong to me. My paraphrase of Jesus in Matthew 6. So it can be literally laying out before the Lord or or the attitude of your heart one of humble submission to. In other words, when we come to worshiping the Lord, there is not assuming a right of mine when I come to God, but rather approaching with a confident reverence. We live beset in a context of rights. We think we have rights. I paid my due, I have rights. I have given, I have rights. I have done, I have rights. There is no concept of that biblically. As a matter of fact, you couldn't even own property in the law. Because every 70 years, guess what happened? It reverted back to original ownership. Why? Because God was teaching this glorious reality. You own nothing. Which is why the psalmist will say the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, right? And so there's even this idea we have rights, we rights, 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 rights. But worship is this laying aside of what I consider to be my right. And coming and approaching God confidently yet with a reverential awe that says I have right to nothing. I come as a rightful response to you. I'm just going to. I italicize and underline this in my notes. So I'm just going to read it. Because I don't want to mess it up for you. This is why. Listen to this very carefully. This is why setting up chairs. Taking down chairs. Making coffee. Serving in radical kids. Is not just a labor. And then listening to preaching. And singing. And taking the Lord's Supper. Are somehow superior acts. If we humbly serve God's ends and means, then our order and engagement in that order takes on a whole new level of meaning. Humble tasks done to serve God's ends are as much an exaltation of Christ as any other worship act. And what's the first thing we do? We avoid setting up chairs, taking out trash... So that we can somehow get to the superior singing of a song or eating a cracker and drinking some juice or listening to somebody preach. I want to say to you, it's from the time you walk in that door down there at 730 in the morning or some of you leave at one. None of it is not worship. Because it's a living sacrifice. It's Lord, I'm completely given over everything I am to you, your ends and your means because you're worth it. 
And I would argue that when the church in the West takes on that attitude, again, our songs will take on a power that we try to create in everything we push for. We, oh, if we get the lighting right, or, or if we get the, the sound right, if we, if we get the, get the chords just right, and we sound just right, we'll usher in this great movement, and then we do it, and we think it hit, and everybody's looking at you funny. It's because it, at the end of the day, if there's not a bunch of repentant people who are living sacrifices, laying it all down for Christ's ends, all that I am given over to Him is just songs. Might as well be some GNR. Some welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. Because just songs. So therefore, when we come to the order of worship in particular and in particular, the acts in it, humility is vital. So when we come, and I'm going to explain in just a minute why we are going to sing and why we do have an order. As I explained last week, it's the same explanation. And I want to repeat it because it's important. So when we come to this order and we come to these acts of worship... We don't assume, and we should never assume, anybody in this room should never assume we know more. Or that maybe we're experts in the particular thing we like. Or in the thing that we enjoy. And in our soul, and in our soul quietly, we despise others who don't like what I like, or get what I get, or care about what I care about, because we perceive them as inferior. If we do that, we're not being Humble, we're being arrogant in our heart. So humility is vital when we come to the public expression of worship to the Lord. That we recognize we're a room full of very different people. And the end of the day, what unites us is Jesus and laying down my right for your benefit. And imagine, can you imagine a whole group of people who lays down their individual rights for the best of others? That's called the church. 59 one another's in the New Testament. Meaning you're more important than me. From my perspective. Has to be. And you should be saying you're more important than me. Can you imagine what kind of love that would be? Can you imagine what kind of reverence and awesomeness that would be? So therefore we come and we humbly exalt the Lord together. There's no way to humbly consume our favorite parts and disdain the parts that are less than my personal jam. That's not humility. That's the epitome of arrogance. So therefore, God's praise becomes the goal of my life as a living sacrifice. And then my actions flow from that as an offering to Him. This is why... This is why, as a person, God's put it in their heart for, for global work. And this is why our church was founded. And it's why we say it the way we say it. This is why we're so absolutely serious about making sure our tactics align with our vision. is because Jesus was clear on the vision. His glory among all nations. The Great Commission, right? It's because there, there's a global component to our faith that's vital. It belongs to the local church. The Great Commission is ours. 
As we've engaged in that, I've had the privilege of seeing worship in different places. And I've seen believers who live a living sacrifice. And, and they would walk in this service today and nothing we did would be explicable to them. They, it would be completely foreign to their idea of what worship is. And we have a tendency to come in here and think this is the way it is. And because we do it good, we should export this to other places. And the reality is, though, they see the move of the Spirit, they see the outpouring of God's grace, they see the powerful effects of the gospel much clearer than we do. And I come back here and I wrestle with those things because I see the effect of the gospel there and I come back here and feel the absolute heaviness of a bunch of consumers who just want to get their thing. And I don't mean you, I just mean in the West in general. We're looking for a product that satisfies what I want. Not how can I give my life away for your sake. You hear the difference between those two? One walks in and says, what can you give me? One walks in and says, how can I give to you? And over there, that's what we see is how can I give to you? You get off the plane and I serve you. I give to you. I give you the last that I have. And I'm sitting there going, I'm arrogant in heart going, but you don't need to give me that. That's all you have. And they go, but you're most important. (laughs) How am I supposed to receive this? With a thankful heart. And then I serve them. Because they're more important than me. And then we come, then we come back to the West. We're just consumers and we try to get, get, get all we can. And if they don't meet my need or my want, bad at, you see what I'm saying? That's no wonder we don't see that kind of outpouring of the Spirit of God. And so what I want to say to you three rivers, when we come to this issue of worship as the most vital issue of our life and we recognize that it's a living sacrifice, I think our songs will start counting. I really do. And, and, and hear this. I, not three rivers in general. I mean church in the West. Church in the West. Because as we continue to multiply and we continue to engage domains and things like Restoration Rome happens, the last thing I want to happen is what comes out of that to look like a worship service. I want the worship service to be a result of the gospel transforming people and they come as a bunch of living sacrifices and whatever form that takes, I'm cool with. Because if it's communion with God in which believers by grace and their mind's attention, heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to the revelation of His glory and His word, score. So Three Rivers, why are we going to sing? Why have we had a service? Because there was a, a clear movement to the service. There were components to it. Fifteen years ago when we started this church, we started it based on Isaiah 6. That service, that movement is, is a complete ripoff of Isaiah chapter 6. And we'll get to that a few weeks down the line. There's a liturgy, there's an order to it. Why in order? Why sing songs? As I told you last week, and I'll remind you. The last thing Jesus did before he was arrested, you remember? He observed the order of the Passover meal with his disciples. And then they sang a hymn. And then they went out. Jesus... Who gave us the order of the Passover? Jesus who created it. And Jesus who inspired David to write the songs that we sing. Most of your songs are ripped off from the Psalms. (laughs) Noticed. Right? It's because Jesus gave that to us. And the order is not unimportant. And the songs aren't unimportant. It's just that they are a manifestation of something deeper. And if we got the living sacrifice part down... 
we, we come to the order in the songs and we walk through that order, not hurry, hurry, hurry up and get to my favorite part. Hurry, hurry, hurry and get to that part. It's every component I savor. I savor it. Because I walk, came in all that I am given over to God for all of His purposes. And so I walk through every moment, engaging in every moment, every sensory act as an offering to the Lord. <laughs> when we do that, I have no doubt we will see powerful things in the service. So why do we have an order in songs? That's why. So can I invite you to come and express in song the living sacrifice? Would you do that? I would argue that is why you're created. No more important thing will you do today than that. Everything you are and all that you do completely given over to the Lord. Let's pray. And then our band's going to lead us in the song part of that expression. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that you would make your name great. Holy Spirit, we trust that you're able to take your word and do with it all that you desire to do, all that you want to do. We pray that you would. Jesus told us you are counselor, helper, teacher, guide to truth. Pray you would be. Lord, I ask that you would um, do the work that you said you would do by convincing. Holy Spirit, Jesus said you would convince concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so we pray you would do that. Pray you would do the work of convincing us to be living sacrifices. In all those areas where we need to Lay them down. Put them on an, an altar of sacrifice. Show us show us those things. Make them clear. And then give us the courage to do it. And then Lord, I pray you bless the singing of the song. Make it rich. Make it enjoyable. Make it joyful. All that you want it to be. And make it the great delight of our heart.